Hello, this is Reverend Sean Patrick Whittington. I am an ordained exorcist deliverance minister, advanced practice, been a Ghostbuster since the age of 10. I am host of Vegas Supernatural. And you're listening to Dead Hand Radio. prefer Andy or do you like Andrew? Either one, man. I It doesn't bother me. I go by, formally I go by Andrew, but my family and friends and a lot of people call me Andy. So whatever you're comfortable with. Well, it doesn't get any better than this. I know I can retire now because it's never going to get any better than me being on Dead Hand Radio with Andrew Hall. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Well, I'm, I'm sure it could get better, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's hope it gets better. Can we just do a complete do-over of 2020? Oh my gosh! Yes, and uh, you know, let, let's keep this on a positive note and just focus on stuff that's interesting, entertaining, educational for people. Absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot of people are hurting right now, and I just want to give them a little bit of distraction with this uh, program. Absolutely. Okay, so first, let's talk about you. You say that you've been a Ghostbuster. Uh, since you were 10 years old. Now, that sounds to me like you had some early experiences in your life with the supernatural. Is that correct? That is correct. I just celebrated my 61st birthday. Um, oh my Congrats. God. Happy birthday. Yeah, there was a time in my life where that probably that I couldn't have never imagined making it this far. Um, my wife is a cougar. She's 16 years older than me and has twice my energy and still works full-time. I can barely hold down a part-time gig, but um, it is what it is. Um, Yeah, 10 years old. Well, earlier than that, I want to say, you know, when I'm probably in and out, still in and out of slip-on, slip-off diapers, probably, and and running around and being a pain in my mom's butt, um, I'm seeing spirit and quite freaked out about it. And the only person I could really confide in was my mother, who uh, I want to, I look back on it and I would, I would say probably as supportive about it as she could be. Now her history, she's probably the most devoutly Catholic person that I know, but also very sensitive, intuitive to spirit and saw spirit also as my older sisters also have that gift. And my younger brother, I think he does too, but he's in denial. That kind of stuff really freaks him out. I've never really had a good sit down with him about it, but I was seeing them when I was very young and uh, my mom helped me through that. But I want to say around 10 uh, when I couldn't really be trusted to be left alone still, I was a pretty troublesome little kid. They sent me, my sisters were in um, college and they were, did you ever see the movie, the burbs with Tom Hanks? Never watched it. It's a funny movie. You got to watch the burbs. Um, Now there's a, this relatively new neighborhood in this movie. And then there's this one house like this Victor, this old falling down, beat up old Victorian mansion looking home stuck in the middle of this neighborhood that doesn't fit. Like they should have tore it down with the first neighborhood and they didn't do it. 
And there was one of these homes just like that in this neighborhood in Reseda, California, that my sisters were uh, renting while they were going to college. And my parents, I guess, were going out on a date night and they needed me watched. So they dropped me off at my sister's house to spend the night there. And they conveniently forgot to tell me that the place was haunted. I don't really know if they knew if my mother had confided in them on the severity of what I was already going through with seeing spirit. Um, but they didn't tell me about it. Maybe they didn't want to freak me out more. I'm not really sure. I never really sat down and talked with them about it either. But I was sleeping in a sleeping bag on the living room floor. And in the middle of the night, my, she had some friends over. My sisters were hardcore hippies and flower children. I say that, and then you're, you're probably thinking, well, they were still in college. The real diehard you know, hippies weren't. But my sisters hung around with that type of crowd, but they still, you know, had jobs and went to school and stuff. But they had people like that over there and they were probably having a little bit of a party, nothing too over the top. I mean, I wasn't in any danger or anything like that. But in the middle of the night, one of her friends comes down the stairs and then proceeds to dance just by herself, dance across the living room floor. And I'm really enjoying the show. I'm just kind of pretending that I'm asleep in my sleeping bag, watching her friend dance across the living room floor until she just vanishes right into the fireplace. Hmm. And uh, that launched me out of my sleeping bag. And I ran upstairs, jumped in bed with my sister. And um, they can, they, you know, confided in me that there was a ghost in the house, but almost immediately this spirit latched onto me and was clearly communicating with me. And, uh, I realized that she had died of a drug overdose in the home and just needed somebody to hear her story and convince her that it was okay to cross over because she was uh, wondering if there was going to be any um, uh, judgment on the other side and fearful of, of, of crossing over because of the way that she passed. And um, I was able to convince her that there was no judgment on the other side and um, it was okay for her to do that, that if she had any loved ones, or ancestor that had gone on before her, which everybody does, they would all be there waiting for her. Mm. Um, and so um, she moved, she crossed over. And from then on, it was just, uh, it was, uh, I was on my way. Well, it sounds like you m must have been quite a, a mature little dude for a 10 year old to have that kind of insight about, uh, you know, number one, being being able to comfort a spirit, which you know most ten year olds who who experience something like that would probably just be freaked out, but you were able to to remain calm enough and and listen to the story, and then convey a positive message to her, which helped her. Well, um, I, I think that's an incredible story, man. I mean, it's it's a. Uh, well, I, I think I owe it all to my mom. I think it was the, the years leading, the few years leading up to that, the way my mom handled knowing what I was going through helped me a lot. She, she was a big keep it simple type of person. You know, she told me I wasn't crazy, that she saw what I saw too, and that I would see, she obviously knew I was going to see a lot of dead people in my life and told me that you're going to see a lot of dead people in your life. I didn't think to ask her why or how do you know that, but, you know, I took it 
with a grain of salt. And she said, just nothing to be scared of. They're just people that don't have a body any longer. And if they appear to you, um, they need something or they want to tell you something. And if, if you're up to it, ask them what it is they need or ask them what it is, you know, what message is it that they, they need to, you know, uh, tell you or give to you. And if uh, there's something you can do to help them, fine. If not, she said, always be honest with them. And if you can't help them, tell them that you can't. But make sure you tell them that not to please not bother you any longer and to, and to move on, that you can't help them. I do remember her really pretty much putting her foot down on that part. You really have to, um, the lines of communications really have to be there. You've got to be firm with your your own bubble and and take control of your situation and not let uh, them take control. Uh, so this was around 1969, 70, somewhere correct. in that area? Yeah, I was born in 59, so that would be 69, correct. Got it, okay. Uh, so let's pause right there on your journey with the paranormal and the uh, the experiences that you were having and talk a little bit about the 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 current day events of that era, because that's really what this program is focused on. Uh, Dead Hand Radio is a reference to the Soviet uh, doomsday device that was built in the 80s. And as you know, the Cold War was the conflict between the Soviet Union and the U.S. Uh, in 1970, there was a period of high tension with the Vietnam War going on. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and then the, um, the internal strife that the United States was, was uh, experiencing because of that conflict. Uh, do you have any recollection of any, any of that period from your, from your own personal perspective? I do, but I don't, didn't remember it as being the eighties. I remembered, oh, no, I remember sorry. being young. Oh, okay. The eighties the, the was the reference I made to the, the dead hand radio or the dead okay. hand, the seventies, which is the area that we're talking about the Vietnam war. Um, you know, the, the uh, pro protests that turned into riots that turned into, you know, even worse than, than um, we want to go down. But uh, yeah. What do you remember about that period of, of history in the U S it's funny, the things that just pop out at me and, and they even really happened recently. I remember uh, my wife and I being called in on a paranormal case here in town not too long ago, where it was one of the older mansions built here in the 50s um, in one of the original areas that was settled near the original Springs Preserves here in the valley. And when we were going through the home, we found a secret passage behind an upstairs bar that led to this winding staircase down into a bomb shelter. They had built a bomb shelter. Uh, now this is the fifties under, under complete the, the whole, like it would have been a basement normally, but it was a bomb shelter. And since they had built the home in the fifties and we never went into nuclear war, the owners after that had converted it into um, a bowling alley, a spa, and like a sauna room. And I think there was another bar down there. But I always thought about that period when I f we first went down there and I saw that bomb shelter. But family-wise goes, you know, 
I guess you could call me a Navy brat. My dad was a 25-year retired a master chief radioman uh, in the United States Navy, and he served in World War II, Korea, Purple Heart recipient, finished his career out in naval intelligence. And so he had a lot of friends. Uh, I remember having neighbors that had uh, makeshift little bomb shelters, whether they had built that themselves or it came with the home when they bought it. And as a kid, you know, kids don't really get too much into that. But I mean, I knew it was what, what it was all for. Maybe as a kid, you're in a little bit of a denial. You, you want to en enjoy your childhood without worrying about an atomic bomb dropping on your head. Um, but I do remember that being um, a tense, uh, worldly, political, um, warring time. Uh, new families that had lost family members in Vietnam and stuff. And, uh, but I think being very, very young, I probably wasn't um, really absorbing it and uh, as I should have. Well, I mean, you were already dealing with a, a, a very unusual situation with uh, the spirits that were visiting you. So it's understandable that you, you know, I mean, you have to choose where to put your focus and um <clears throat> so like you said a lot of kids at that age just want to have fun you know they want to run, yeah. run around and play here i didn't i didn't come well for lack of a better for lack of a better term i didn't come out of the closet with my gift until um i was in the navy now i didn't want people you know i wanted to have friends i just knew I mean, I, I say I was a Ghostbuster since I was 10. I was the weird kid that had the Schwinn with the basket on the handlebars, threw a little Polaroid in there and a little tape recorder. And I rode around in Topanga Canyon and Malibu Canyon looking for old abandoned structures to go in and, and, and ghost hunt around a little bit. And, uh, you know, I was urbexing before urbexing was urbexing. And that was solo, or did you have a couple friends that would go with no, you? No, I I didn't tell people about that passion because I really thought I really thought my friends would think I was really uh, out there, and I wouldn't have any friends. Yeah, um, and yeah. so I even have friends that I've known all my life that now get the biggest kick out of listening to me on the radio or watching my podcast or just they or they've purchased my book and they've called me up and said wow i didn't even know during that period of time in your life that you were going through that um it's a good thing you didn't, i've had them all be honest with me it's a good thing you didn't tell me because we i probably would have thought you were a, a weirdo and we probably wouldn't have enjoyed the friendship that we enjoyed for so many years so i had that pressure on me too people people talk about the stigma of ufo experiencers but um you know at that time that you're talking about there was a really big stigma um attached to and f i mean even to this day there's still a, a really big stigma attached to the idea that people can see spirits and it seems to be fading away a little bit nowadays with the more of the the ghost hunting shows that are coming out but uh, yeah that that is a that that would be a pretty good deterrence to telling people about what you're going through 
and, and you mentioned those shows. I I never watch them, not because I don't like them. There have been a couple that have popped up here and there that I enjoyed, but some of them have been caught kind of faking things, and um, that gives that that makes it even worse for us. Some people in my field will go, well, no, they made it cool and popular to be a ghost hunter again. Some of them, yes, but in the flip side of that coin, some of them uh, have also made it a little more difficult for us too. If if they were if the show's terrible or they are caught faking things or over dramatizing or over sensationalizing things, they take that uh, creative liberties too far, and you can tell. Then they uh, it it that hurts us also. Yeah, that's a good point, and I've had a similar discussion. Um, with a friend of mine who is becoming a very good friend. Um, she's also a, um, I, I, an intuitive or a psychic medium. She sees spirits and she talks to ghosts. Uh, they, she also has a, a ghost hunting team in Northern Nevada. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Or I should say paranormal investigation to be politically correct. Um, Everybody knows the term ghost hunting, but some people attach a negative, a little bit of a negative um, uh, concept with the ghost hunting aspect of it. Uh, now, so I mean, I, I would love this to sit here and talk to you at length about your experiences as a 10 year old, just because of the nostalgia of revisiting that era with somebody who was, you know, doing the things that you were doing. Um, I had my own little adventures, but, you know, I wasn't seeing unusual uh, activity like that. But just hearing about you going and exploring these abandoned locations and uh, the things that you were doing, I would love to talk with you more about that at, at another time. Sure. Just so we can get through the the bulk or the body of um, how you got to where you're at today, if that's okay. Absolutely. It's your so, show, Andrew. I'm a, I'm an open book. You know, anything you want to talk about, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I do. I, you know, it is my platform, but I do allow the guest uh, to talk at at length as long as they want to about a topic. So the guest is really, um, in, in my mind, and because my platform is is an open discussion forum, I don't have a time limit on it. Uh, and I can always edit stuff out at a later time. It's not live. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, a lot more flexible than what you have to work with in the live radio world. Okay. Um, but uh, so let's fast forward uh, a little bit until you said that um, when you got into the Navy is when you sort of came out of the closet, so to speak, and started to let people know what you were what you were up to or what you were experiencing. How did that go across? <laughs> well, I always, I, I've been the kind of guy that just jumps in the deep end, you know, um, if I can't swim, I just jump in without a, you know, the life preserver jacket on them. And that's pretty much what I did. I didn't realize it was, uh, <laughs> like you said a little bit earlier, it was looked down upon because I, ships are very haunted. And so I saw a lot of spirit on the ships and I would confide in, you know, uh, a couple of guys. And uh, I was also, I followed in my dad's footsteps and became a radio man. So in the, in the 
birthing compartment of the radio men and the signal men, a couple of guys that I thought I was close with, I would tell them these things, freak them out totally. And um, then you would see things out there. You know, if I'm, if I'm on a, a watch from at night, everything's turned off. There are no lights on a, on a naval ship at night. You have to pretty much have everything memorized where you're going um, so that you don't crack your head open on a bulkhead or walk into a closed door or fall down a ladder. So you're in pitch dark the whole time you're out at sea at night until you get like up to into the radio shack and the door closes behind you, there's lights on in there. And then if you go to the bridge to, to send messages up there to the captain and stuff, they've got like infrared lighting up there and stuff and your eyes get kind of a, a, accustomed to it, but you're still pretty much in the dark. But you, I saw, you know, you mentioned UFOs, saw a lot of that out there. Um, and it, I was told pretty quickly that um, I wasn't allowed to really pursue that, talk about it, bring it up, talk about it with other sailors, spread the rumors of, of around the ship of what I've seen, especially with the spirits, because it did start to freak out some uh, some of the guys in my immediate department between the radio men and the signal men, and then uh, it, it spread to other people. I started becoming the ghost guy, and nobody wanted to hang around with me on the ship, you know. Um, so, uh, but I saw a lot of spirit on ship, saw a lot of UFOs, not saying they were alien or extraterrestrial, but uh, flying things that you can't really explain going in and out of the water. I guess they call them now uh, USOs, unidentified submerged objects. So um, quite a bit of that when I, when I was in the Navy and um, but it was to talk about it was frowned upon. That, uh, yeah, I mean, it's and like we said, it's still frowned upon in certain circles nowadays. But uh, so the year you went into the Navy, I'm guessing that was around 78, 79. Uh, yeah, I was went in when I was 19, so it had to be right around there. Okay. Don't have any of the dates in front of me, but it had to be right around there. I remember spending, um, my 21st birthday out at sea. And then I was only in a couple of years after that. I only went in for one four year tour. Um, well, thank you for your service. Thank you. And again, that was another uh, body of, uh, or a period of time that was right there within the, the period of the cold war. That's so interesting to me. And the reason I keep bringing that up is, um, well, it's a little bit of a long story. So I'll, I'll give you that, like you said, or you suggested that we do a, a follow-up episode on your program, which I'm happy to do. And I'll give you, you know, what interests me and stuff like that. But the uh, the Cold War, so by, by this time, you had to have been a little bit more aware of what was going on in the world and the conflict between the Soviets and America. Uh, even though there wasn't any shooting wars going on, there was still skirmishes and uh, uh, what's the term? Like when you call it flexing their muscles, you know, there's a term for that. That's uh, a military term. Like oh, posturing, gosh. posturing. Okay. There was a lot of posturing going on throughout the, uh, the European theater and South America, 
I want to say I was in during the, uh, if I remember correctly, I think I was in during the, uh, not the Falklands, that was the, the British, but the Grenada. I think I was in during that time. Okay. Yeah. I don't the, think my, my ship didn't go down there, but um, I think I was in the time. Things were tense. There was some, there was some tension for sure. Yeah. I, I look back and remember, which used to blow me away. Now here, my father, God bless him, grew up in, uh, you know, in Oklahoma during the depression. So he was as a teenager hopping freight trains from, to go from town to town and just to work. And so, you know, pretty rough cat, um, very intelligent. But the thing is, is, you know, um, hopefully you don't get hate mail for this after the show, but you grow up with a certain, you, you go through what my father went through. You're going to have some prejudices when you get older. It's just the way, even though he's a member of what we fondly refer to as the greatest generation, that's going to be that way. Um, so, it's it just, um, I remember telling him stories about why I was so unhappy in the Navy. And he would say, well, it's not my Navy any longer. And um, and I would say, well, when well, my tour is done, you, you don't mind me coming back home? He said, absolutely not. But um, it, just, it was a very weird time. And um, so, I mean, he fought the Japanese. Um, and I don't think he was very fond of them. Uh, later on in life, if I if I brought friends home that were of Asian descent, or if we had Asian people in the neighborhoods and stuff, I mean he wasn't you know uh, a radical. He, he very intelligent man. Everybody loved him, but you know I just knew it. So yeah, it was just it was a very um, it was a, a tense time. Even when I was in coming home on leave and stuff, and growing up and. Uh, listening to him and some of the buddies, some of his old Navy buddies coming by to visit. He knew a lot of cops that pro perhaps they were in the service too. And, you know, and they would have their fair share of parties and I would, you know, maybe sneak out of my bedroom and listen to some conversations while they're playing poker and smoking cigars and throwing back shots of whiskey and drinking beer and whatever. And it just was a different, it was just a different life, different time, you know, and, and it, it just it doesn't I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like it's um, it just kind of recycles itself, just different players, different things that, you know, the world's all pissed off about over and over and over again. But it just seems to kind of just be recycling itself all the time. Uh, the consequences get, you know, seem to be more serious. Sometimes it seems that we're um, uh, dealing with um, uh, much more severe um, topics, but you know, that's just our time. But even, but back then, whatever they were dealing with was pretty severe too, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and, and you're right during quote unquote peacetime, uh, it's pretty stressful on service members because they're always prepared to go to war and to maintain that level of readiness and never be able to go and do the job that you're trained to do and continuously training to do. I don't know. That just, uh, that's kind of how it was when I was in the air force was there was a, there was this period of tension where, um, you know, you, you know, if you don't want a war and you don't want it to escalate 
because of the possibility of nuclear war. But you feel like, you know, man, I'm ready. I'm so ready. I'm never going to be more ready. So if it's going to happen, let it happen now and, and stop putting it off almost in, in that kind of a mindset, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, again, it's not something that I wanted to happen, but it was something that I felt like, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've spent all this time training and preparing myself both mentally and physically. And I'm ready, man. Let's just get it over with. You know, did you ever feel like that? Do you think that might've been kind of what added to your dislike of, of the uh, service? Um, I can't really put my finger on it. I, I just think for whatever reason, I thought it would be different Yeah. than yeah. what it was. And um, I, uh, I just, I don't regret going in, but I didn't, I, I really it wasn't one of my favorite times <laughs> during my life. Um I'm I'm a mama's boy. I'm a homeboy. You know, I like being home around the family and my folks. And oh, that's cool. And uh, I had a lot of friends, uh, you know, that didn't go into the service with me. And so, I I think I was just at that age where I, I missed all of that. And I'm like, you know, why did I do this? You know, what's going to become of this? And it just didn't really seem like it seemed like whatever I was doing was just going to be exclusive to that gig. And I either was going to stay in for 15. And what's funny is many times I joke about if I had known then what I know now, I would have stayed in the 15 mm-hmm. or, you know, cause I would be getting some type of uh, retirement pay. <laughs> so, but I don't know if, you know, it's, it, I jokingly say that, but 15 years isn't a walk, a walk in the park. Not and being uh, especially- happy. Especially when you're that young and you have your whole life ahead of you. Yeah. 15 years seems like an eternity. And you're unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. I I will say this. um, When I was in the military, I wasn't always unhappy. I loved the training. It was, it was to me the, you know, a very rewarding experience to be able to go out there and do that physical activity and do that training, pitting your uh, wits against your, you know, against your adversaries. So I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, not, not everybody feels that way, but for me, that was the rewarding part of being in the military. Um, well, th- well, thank you for your service. Oh, Air sure. Force. My oh, wife was Air Force too. Yeah. And so um, there was, the, you know, I was in 85 to 89. There was nothing going on uh, during that time. In fact, after I got out, the Berlin Wall collapsed. The Soviet Union collapsed, um, you know, the, and the, the end of the Cold War was was over. So people were celebrating that, you know, there was going to be no no more war. Um, and little did they know, like you said before, things tend to recycle themselves, yeah. you know, and tensions flare up. And and now I think, you know, I, I, I've talked about this on other episodes, so I'll say it. Again, right here, I think we're in Cold War 2.0 right now. I, I believe so. I'll, I'll join you in on that one. And yeah. I think there's stuff going on that would just, uh, we possibly couldn't even wrap our heads around. Um, yeah. That's just, yeah, different era. Right. But uh, so, so stepping back a little bit to your, um, your military service, the period you were in, uh, were, were, was your family... <clears throat> were they living in Las Vegas at that time? 
No. <laughs> Here's another. Like, I wasn't lying when I told you I was uh, a real mama's boy. And, uh, you know, uh, I was the kind of kid that when my mom and parents tried to drop me off at school when I was little, I would just throw such a fit. Mm -hmm. They would, you know, either just say enough's enough and just bring me home. Or if I did say many times, I would find a way to break out of the school and try to get home, run away and get home. So I, I joke about this all the time because when I was in the Navy, they didn't say nothing to me. We were in Southern California uh, in the San Fernando Valley, Woodland Hills, Canoga Park area. And I, when I finally got out of the Navy, I went back to our old home and they were gone. They had already moved to Vegas and didn't mm -hmm. say a word to me. <laughs> so I, I followed them here. You know, I stayed for a little while with a friend there in, in LA, but then uh, that didn't work out. And I left there and uh, followed them here. And next thing you know, I'm knocking on the front door. And I, I always joke that they tried to ditch me. Because um, like I said, I have a younger brother. He was already in college out on his own. My two sisters have married, had families, and they're out on their own. But I, I was I was the home buddy. I loved my dad, loved my mom, and just I just really was a, a mama's boy and liked being home. Yeah. So I always joked with everybody that they tried to ditch me and I had to track them down here. But then um, I really enjoyed being out here. It was a lot different than L.A. And like God, I've been out here a long time. Since uh, what what year was it? That you came out here? I'm 61 now. I was, I remember, it's, so I get out of the Navy uh, mid to late 20s. So 30, I'm out here. I've been here 30 years, probably. So since about 1984, 85? Uh, tell you what, let me throw this at you and maybe you can gain the, t you're really good on that. Um, you would make a great co-host or I'd make a great co-host for you because you do all the things that I don't know. Okay. Um, Thank it you, was, a, I remember meeting Tony Spilatro at the old shark club on Harmon, just off of the strip. And this was shortly before he was murdered. You got me there. I don't know who that is. Um, did you ever see the movie Casino? Yeah. The Joe Pesci character was based on oh, Tony okay. Spilatro. Wow. He was a real gangster out here running the town. And the reason why we were out here was my father here we go again. He was like vice president of like, I believe it was Sanyo or Concord. It was a, one of the largest electronics uh, companies uh, from, and there was always like this yin yang thing there. These were companies from the Orient, Japanese companies that when they were, came out here, you know, they hired people like my father uh, to run the companies. But I think deep down inside, he hated working for them and with them but he was making good money i'm sure being vice president but there was a time where one of the bosses was going to buy a casino out here and so we came out for a while to kind of just check out the waters and see what was going on and see if we would like the place um and something happened and i think you know my dad jokes around about it but he thinks uh the mob got to the guy and scared them off from buying the, they weren't about to let, um, you know, a rich Oriental guy buy the casino. The mob really had the town at that time. Mm -hmm. So we, that never happened. We came home, but I remember starting to go back periodically here and there just to, you know, to hang out, have fun. You got the weekend off, you know, they got you and your buddies only wanted to go to Vegas. 
I had friends that were always fighting out here. And like back then they didn't call it MMA, organized karate fighting and stuff. So we'd come out and watch a friend of ours compete or something. But I remember meeting Tony Spilatro in a, in a bar, one of the most frightening experiences I ever had. But it was that time during that era of Vegas. But when I finally moved out here after my parent, after I got out of the Navy, um, it had to be, I was maybe not quite 30, late 20s. And um, so I'm thinking, yeah, I've probably been out here about 30 years. The wife's been out here even longer than that. I want to say probably 40, hmm. 40, 45 years. So I'm going to change the subject just a little bit, but stay on what you were talking about, because you're a guy that sees and talks to spirits. You go on paranormal investigations, and I'm sure you've run into entities that are a lot scarier than just ghosts. And you said that one of the most terrifying experiences you've ever had in your life was meeting a gangster. Is that correct? Yeah, because it was like I was, I had never really looked into the eyes, uh, the lifeless eyes of a legitimate psychopathic murderer and killer like that. And uh, I could just, I could just tell me, I don't know if it's, my sensitivity to uh, feeling something a little extra that not maybe most people don't feel about other people, but that's what I read off him in that, uh, in that moment that we, uh, we talked because it was, a, I went on a dare up to him to ask him to introduce myself, ask him, are you Tony Cilantro? And then um, I'd had a few, I don't drink any longer. It's been, oh, I can't even remember the last time I had a drink. I haven't been drinking in many, 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 many years. But I was a raging alcoholic back then. And my friend talked me into going up to him and asked him why they call him the ant. And so when I went up, introduced myself, he said, yeah, I'm Tony Splotcher, who are you? You know, I introduced myself. And then I asked him. And he was sitting at the table with three other guys that are like, each one of them easily twice, three times my size, giant guys. And he was a little man. But when I asked him that and he looked at me, he didn't answer me for, it was very uncomfortable silence for probably what felt like five minutes, a minute, mm -hmm. but just stared at me. And in that moment, um, I, I, I thought we weren't going to get out of there. And, um, we actually stayed, we actually closed the bar down because him and his buddies left. And then we, uh, we were afraid that maybe they were outside lingering around waiting for us. And so we, we closed the bar down. We waited for sun to come up in Vegas. The bars pretty much stay open 24 seven, at least they did back then. And this was also a nightclub, the shark club. So we stayed there, but it, I, that was a pretty frightening situation. Now compare that to, to what I get into it's a completely well, different before you get onto that. I, I have to know what, what did he answer? What was the answer that he told you? He just laughed. He broke out into uh, just this really gutter, <laughs> just like he, like I truly was the first person that made him laugh in God knows how long. And he, he ended up waving over at the bartender and told them, 
drinks for him. Who, who are you here with, kid? I said, my two buddies up there who now had turned away from him and their heads are down in their arms and they're pretending like they don't even know me. I said, me and those two guys up there. He goes, tell you what, you put your money away. Your money's no good here tonight. And uh, drinks and whatever else you guys want are, are on me. And he waves, waves something at the bartender. We'd have to pay for another dime, which was scary because, you know, they always talk about. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What you're talking you know? about. <laughs> so. Uh, so, yeah, he just mm-hmm. started laughing so hard and uh, just said, I like you, kid. Who are you here with? He never answered why they called him the ant or even acknowledged it that they did. But I but I knew that that's what his nickname was. Probably thought it took a lot of courage for you to walk up to him and do that. And I'm sure that was a level of respect that he did, that he responded that way. <laughs> you know, or either that or see, you, you were so inconsequential. He felt sorry for you. And yeah, probably, probably that one. I'm going to go drinks. with that one. Yeah. I'm going to go with that one for sure. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is an interesting experience, man. And Las Vegas was a really different place back then. I didn't move here until 96. Um, so that was pre, uh, you know, that was before my time being out here, but, uh, yeah, Las Vegas was a a lot different, um, in those days. And then when the mafia finally did get cleared out and, uh, um, it became more of a legitimate, um, place for businesses to operate, uh, questionable, you know, gaming yeah, whatever you would call it. I don't, I, sometimes I stutter and I lose track of what I'm trying to say, but uh, I, I think you get what I'm talking about, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. It was, it, and many people will argue with you today that the, the town was better, uh, much safer and much better when the mob did run it. And I would have to say that, I don't know, maybe, maybe as of the way it is today, possibly, but I, you know, big corporations kind of turned me off. Also, I sort of liked that back in the day. I sort of liked that mystique, um, that reputation that the town had. Um, I think a lot of people um, yearn for that nostalgia. You know, they they think of it of of a more romantic era for the town, right? Um, even though it was dangerous. I mean, man, there was there was. Uh, <laughs> a lot of bad things going on uh, that was not publicly reported. Um, but uh, yeah, it certainly has changed. I mean, it's a family town now, you know, it's a, a lot of people say it's not a great place to raise a family. It's I like the adults here. Disneyland. I really, I raised my kids here now. Granted, I'm not in Las Vegas proper. I'm in Henderson, but you know, I, I don't think it's, a, a bad place to raise a family now. Oh no, not at all. Not anymore. No. Yeah. Uh, so uh, around that time, uh, I, I'm sure you were still having <clears throat> experiences with the paranormal and you had said that you, you started to allude to a, um, an experience that you had. Did you want to continue with that? Well, you had asked uh, comparing what I do in uh, terms of um, my dealings with the the paranormal world versus being having met Tony Splotcher on that being uh, having me be the most frightened I've ever been. That was a little bit of a stretch. There's been other. I'm only human. There's been other times where I've been extremely frightened, but it's it's a different 
type of me. I mean, I've been told that when I work cases, especially those of a, a darker, more malevolent nature, that I'm a different type of person. And um, I can give you the abridged version of the story, but I was created to do what I'm doing today and to be on the path that I'm on. So it's a, it's a faith-based thing, approach for me. And um, so it's a different type of, of fright. It's more of a fright. You know, people that are really being tormented and tortured and terrorized by extremely malevolent entities, God forbid, demonic. Uh, it's the, the difference between those cases and just going out ghost busting or ghost hunting or you know, uh, Aunt B or Uncle Tom are sticking around the home and uh, and scaring the family, not because they mean to, but they're, they want the family to know that they're still around watching over things and they don't mean to be frightening. That case is much different than a dark, malevolent case. And the difference is, is that the real dark, malevolent cases where people are just, you know, there's either extreme demonic infestation or God forbid, someone's either so oppressed that they're about to be possessed or there is a, a possession uh, taking place, it's a matter of life and death. So some of that fear is along those lines, fearing more for all that's, you know, under my, on my watch. Who, who do I have to worry about on my watch? That's why it's just me and my wife. I mean, I've had team members that have gone home with some serious attachments that I have never gotten over that still I feel guilty about because I brought them in on that. So it's, after many years of those types of things happening, that's why it's just my wife and I now. And even to this day, it's not, I don't advise it, but I'll work many cases by myself because we're, my wife and I are both survivors of extreme demonic attacks and hers, uh, both of ours almost took our lives, but hers uh, really was a bad one. And uh, so sometimes I even, hesitate wanting to take her on cases but she's very uh, gifted uh, sensitive intuitive and stubborn and a minister and isn't doesn't fear anything when it comes to that so if she's available she comes with me on the cases but it's a, it's a scary thing now since you explained it to me that way uh i can completely relate to the experience of meeting a known killer psychopath um, versus going in with the intention of doing spiritual battle to, to, because you're prepared in one case, you're like the prey standing there face to face with the hunter, not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, that would be an extremely unnerving situation. Now the experience where you're going into, you know, make contact and, do spiritual battle against demons and negative entities, that's going to be scary, but you're prepared for it. You know, a, kind of what you're about to experience and, and you're prepared mentally and physically for it. So I could see how that experience meeting the gangster in this physical realm would probably be a, a pretty unnerving experience. It, it was. Yeah, I, I really love the way you put that. And um, yeah, so it's, that's the difference, I believe. So now uh, that we've 
kind of brought things full circle to you living in Vegas and, um, you know, you, you had a, um, you, you had to get adjusted to your new environment here in, in Las Vegas. When did you start officially doing the, um, pursuing the paranormal as a career or as a, I know you don't make money on that aspect of it. You do the, the paranormal investigations to help people, but uh, as a full-time endeavor, let's put it that way. Well, it seemed that it was just meant to be. My wife and I were both set up on a blind date and we didn't know it. And we just really hit it off. And immediately she found out, you know, what my interests were and passions were as I, her, and we said we should start uh, we should start a, a team together and and start helping people and so it was it was with her and I deciding to start ghostbegone.biz that um, that we started doing that um, like we never stopped working I mean we still needed to pay the bills and pay the mortgage and put food on the table she's a office manager for almost twenty years now at the same animal hospital and I'm a part time veterinary technician at the same animal hospital so we've been both have been in we just had so much in common we've both been in the animal care industry most of our adult lives and both had these passions for paranormal investigating and and ghost busting and helping people with their paranormal issues and both of us see spirit feel spirit it just seemed like it was meant to be that we met and of course, since then, we've done so much research on our ancestry that we truly believe we know we've known each other in a past life. And because our ancestries cross um, quite a bit back in the day. And so we, we feel that it's the way that we met and how things took off for us and how we hit it off and, and, and doing all this together. It just uh, it just seemed like it was meant to be. So did you say that has been going on for about 20 oh, we, years? Yeah, we've we just celebrated our, oh my gosh, when she hears this, she's going to kill me. We either celebrated our 17th or 18th wedding anniversary just a few weeks ago. Um, so yeah, and we were together for a couple of years before we got married. So we've been together about 20 years. And oh, okay. shortly Congrats. after we met, we started doing the paranormal thing. I remember going up to maybe the following weekend after we met we went to go spend the weekend with some friends up in pioch um in a very haunted area up there and here we are just kind of bar hopping down main street and i'm knowing that there's spirit in all of them i'm kind of venturing off the beaten path to go peek down this dark corridor walk up into this attic whatever and the bartenders and the waitresses and my friends are like what's he doing and you know sharing with this game you know He's looking for ghosts or ghosts are calling to him or something. And um, so, you know, people just started to kind of uh, associate that with us. Next thing we know, we're getting phone calls from friends. I have a friend who's having some issues at their home that they can't explain and they're scared and they need help. Can I uh, refer you guys? And then our answer would 99.9% .9 of the time absolutely please do and then we always wait for them to reach out to us and then we just started helping people then it kind of snowballed from there but i have i've had people pull me over we have magnets on the car that say ghostbegone.biz 
and people will sometimes pull us over and go, you know, uh, so you charge people for getting rid of their ghosts when they don't even exist. And I just kind of laugh and go, well, no, I don't charge for our ministry work, but you got to put the dot biz on there because I have a book. You can buy my book on there. Um, there's like t-shirts and hats and coffee mugs and whatever else you can buy on there. I have my online course um, that you can enroll in and pay for your enrollment and enroll in it there. So, I mean, there's things to purchase on there. So um, it is a business in that sense, but um, spiritual warfare, helping people with that and their paranormal issues, helping get rid of that extra unwanted guest in the home that is turning their life upside down and helping them get their home and their family and their lives back. We don't charge for any of that. Although we do accept donations. That's fair. But this has been a crazy year. Like I said earlier, I wish we could just do a do-over. In March, since I'm 61 and I've had my fair share of underlying health issues, and my wife is 76 and she's had her fair share of underlying health issues, we made the heartbreaking decision to not physically go out and work any cases this year. Mm, yeah. So I've done a ton of counseling. And that's what I wanted people to know. I don't have any magical powers. I don't come into a haunted situation, wave a magic wand and make it all better. What people don't realize is that they truly are the only ones that have the power to draw their line in the sand make a stand, push the darkness back and fight it off of them and get their life and their, and their family back and, and make things better. They truly are the only ones. So I've gotten better uh, at my counseling skills and I've been able to uh, relay that message to people more. Um, Cause before I found that that's all people wanted. Um, they weren't, weren't, maybe they didn't hit rock bottom. Maybe things weren't as bad as they thought, but they just weren't able to really buy into what, for lack of a better term, selling. Um, they weren't ready to do the things I needed them to do to help me help them. And I get it too. I don't try to conform um, anybody over to Catholicism or Christianity, but I am going to, I tell people right from the start, that's my angle. Mm -hmm. When I, when I come in to work these cases, that's the angle I'm coming in at. So if you're not on board with that, I totally understand. I probably should try to find an, another team of investigators that's going to suit you better. Because I just know that it's, uh, if, you know, everybody's got their, um, the way they, they go about doing things. And I just know that one way works for me. And when I've tried to do it the other way, it doesn't end very well. So I don't want to make things worse. And, and that can happen too, because things, I don't believe in religious provocation. These things, if they're truly malevolent and God forbid demonic, they're already aggravated just by me showing up. So um, if the family isn't 100% on board with where I'm coming from and ready to just do what I need them to do, uh, sometimes things can get way worse than they already are. There, how come some people will experience activity, even if they're not seeing apparitions and, and things of the spirit world, but, you know, there are some people that will experience things moving or uh, loud noises, unexplained 
um, just strangeness. And then a, a, a person who doesn't live there will walk in and never experience a single thing in the same location. You know, there's so many different theories all over the, all over the, all over the board, all over the place. I am going to say for me, I truly don't believe that there's any experts in this field. And I don't believe that anybody has all the answers. So many things that I thought were one way, let's say 10 years ago, I've experienced many situations that are different that have, um, you know, like just for instance, like residual haunt. I don't buy into the residual haunt. I think a haunt is a haunt is a haunt. And I did a case where, you know, this one lady was seen walking through a basement and up a staircase and then through the second floor of a home. And when I was down in the basement, I heard my wife walking up behind me and I thought I would take a cute little selfie with her because I felt her right over my right shoulder. And after I took the photo and turned around, I'm staring at the woman who everybody's been seeing all this time walk through the home. It's not my wife. I'm standing face to face with this apparition. She has stopped. Now this is an apparition that's supposed to be residual, that it's just something that's been imprinted on the fabric of time that keeps replaying itself over and over and over again. Uh, so there's no intelligence there, but she stopped because she didn't want to walk through me or around me or I don't know. But we're, we were eye to eye, and it wasn't until I moved out of her way that she continued to walk forward. And I followed her, and I caught a second photo of her uh, in her apparition form on the second floor before she disappeared into a bathroom. So I, you know, there's just so many different theories. I think some people are more sensitive to that than others. You can, you can move into a place and it already be haunted. You can move into a place and you brought your own attachment with you. I think some people are haunted and are in such denial over it that they've gotten to a point where they just don't see and hear the things anymore. I live in a very haunted house. It's like, I'll have a friend come over and say, did you hear that? Did you see that? And I didn't. And I'm the one that's sensitive to that I, because I just hear it and see it all the time. I just, I get sort of accustomed to it. Um, whereas uh, some people, um, they just, they just don't pick up on it. I have some dear friends that think I'm a total whack job that I've lost it. And that's why probably once every six weeks, uh, two months, I sit down with an old friend who's um, a clinical psychiatrist and we just talk for an hour or two. I don't know if she's giving me certain questions or talking to me about certain things, but she knows me very well and she's a psychiatrist. So uh, she, we just talk. And I have another friend who's a psychologist and we will talk every couple of months for an hour or two, catch up on things. We've known each other all our lives. And I'm hoping that these talks, I never get the follow-up call the next day, listen, I think you need to take a break from what you're doing. I've told them the last thing anybody needs is a crazy exorcist showing up at their house if they're already having legitimate paranormal issues. So I'm always worried about that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, a, I think it just depends on the person. I, I don't really know the no know what other answer to give you other than I think it just depends on the on the sensitive the sensitivity to spirit that each individual has, and we all have it, but the severity of it and the levels of it I think drastically differ from one person to the next. I started to formulate a hypothesis as I was listening to you answer the question. And I, I know it's a really unfair question because I, nobody knows. I mean, um, you know, that's a question that would probably never be able to be completely answered other than some speculation. Uh, but my hypothesis was this. So, so people who don't have experiences and will go into extremely haunted locations and, and never have an experience. I wonder if it could be that they have some kind of energy or some kind of like spiritual uh, defense mechanism that they don't even know about that just completely sends the spirits running for the, the corners, you know, and they go into hiding while that person is present. Hmm. That's just a thought. Possibly. That's interesting. Um, interesting it could be and they could and also they could be that they can just tell by i believe some people i take i can't take them anywhere without every spirit in the in the building uh, coming and wanting to talk to them i don't know how that person looks to them but you know the belief is that it's all a vibrational thing Mm -hmm. uh, all of this is different levels of, of vibration and so somehow this person looks different to them it's like I can be in a group of people and it's just, you know, one person hears the disembodied voice while the rest of us are standing there, but we don't hear it. One person smells the perfume or the flowers or the, or the cigar smoke. Nobody else in that group experiences that. There's a little bit of paranormal targeting too, I think. And so I think it's, it's how that person looks to the spirit and maybe they're these people that have just, so tuned that out. They so not want to have anything to do with it. They've totally tuned it out that the spirit knows that there's no sense in, um, I mean, I've had like parapsychologists that are the most diehard skeptics and debunkers on the face of the planet have spirits appear right in front of them. And when the spirit vanishes, look right at me and immediately start debunking <laughs> what they just experience. Yeah. yeah so it's you know it's 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 just i find it all a very uh interesting and amusing and anything else you want to throw in in that uh in that bag it's just uh we're all you and i are going to be having the same conversation one day up in heaven at the at the main center bar just inside the front gates and we'll laugh about all the things that we didn't know that we know now then. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I truly also believe that we're never going to know the answers to all this. Uh, for some reason, there's just some kind of law or rule or something going on that yeah. we're not supposed to, supposed to know, but the adventure is the journey. So I'm going to change gears a little bit. And um, because I, we could talk about your personal experiences and, you know, your journey. I, I want to talk a little bit about your radio program, how that started 
and what is the uh, what is the focus of the radio program? So, can you just give me a little uh, like before we started the the um, recording, you you mentioned to me that it was your wife that inspired you or kind of insisted that you start the radio program. But talk walk me through how that kind of transpired, if you would. We were having dinner here in the house one night, and I was really depressed, and she could tell, and she asked me why. And I said, well, I see all of these people that I admire in the field of paranormal investigating, ufology, cryptids, um, spiritual warfare, what have you, having all, enjoying all of these paranormal conferences and paranormal conventions and events all over the states. So I'm never going to get to do – I don't travel well. We can't really afford me to just quit my job rent an RV and travel around going to all these events. So it's just kind of a bummer. I'm never going to get to work with or meet a lot of these people. And she just blurted out, why don't you do a radio show? Then you can interview these people and that'd be the next best thing. I thought it was the funniest thing she ever said, but then she said, no, I'm serious. Why don't you reach out to, she knew Tina Marie Cowett, who is the uh, owner of KCOR radio. And she said, why don't you call Tina? She's starting her new network looking for hosts ask her what she thinks about you doing a radio show. I still thought it was the funniest thing she'd ever said, because I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And I still don't. And I just celebrated my five year anniversary there. Um, still don't have a clue what I'm doing. So I called Tina and said, Sharon said the most, the funniest thing to me at dinner the other day, she wanted me to reach out to you and ask if you think I would, you know, be a good host of a radio show, a paranormal radio show where I would just bring on, you know, people in the paranormal, under the paranormal community umbrella, whichever branch they're on underneath that umbrella, just bring them on interview them, get to know them, talk for a couple hours, whatever. She never answered me. She just said, listen, I'm going out to bowl at whatever casino it was near her. Why don't you meet me in the Starbucks in front and we'll have a coffee. And so that's what I did. And she showed up with a contract already made out. So her and my wife saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And uh, so I said, well, if I tank and I make a fool out of myself, it's on you. She goes, I won't let you get that far. If you're that bad, <laughs> I'll cut you loose quickly and painlessly. And so um, the rest is history, man. I started doing it on Mondays because that was my only day off. I had Sundays and Mondays off. So I started doing it Sundays at 5 p.m. Pacific live for two hours and it's, it's been going for five years now, same day, same time. And then about a year ago, somebody talked me into doing a live stream on camera podcast, which I ended up naming uh, Reverend Sean Whittington's Paranormal Ministry, because my book is almost of the same name, God, Ghosts, and the Paranormal Ministry. So I called it that. And that is every was every Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific live for an hour. Same thing on camera. I just bring on a guest. We talk about, you know, anything that they want to talk about paranormal related. And that has recently changed. I celebrated my one year anniversary there with that. And I've decided to take the holidays off because I'm switching producers I'm switching networks and I'm switching days and times. The, uh, Reverend Sean Whittington's Paranormal Ministry will be starting uh, New Year's Day, 
Friday, January 1st, 2021. And then it'll be every Friday after that at 2 p.m. Pacific, live for an hour on uh, Reverend Sean Whittington's Paranormal Ministry Facebook Live page, Reverend Sean Whittington YouTube channel. I got one of those, believe it or not. And I think their network, the network is um, Paranormal United Network, and they have a page and a website, I believe. It'll be live streamed there also. So I'm looking forward to that. They wanted to do 90 minutes or go right into two hours. Uh, I said, let's just, you know, I've been doing an hour with that show for a year now. I'm kind of comfortable with it, but let's see how it goes. And if it's, if it takes off and, you know, we decide we want to go a little bit longer then we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But for now, it's just going to be an hour long. Um, and that too is, uh, you know, every, here's a guy that doesn't know what he's doing on radio. I've been told whether they were joking or not that I have a face for radio. So what am I doing on camera? I don't have a clue. But the wife bought me a really nice webcam and um, she upgraded the inter the uh, internet service that we have to podcast quality level. So, and it seems to be doing okay and I'm having fun with it. It's just, it's really, to me, it's not, any different other than like right now I'm in my PJs talking to you because we're not on camera. I have to make sure I get dressed for the podcast, but it's basically the same thing for me. I just bring on my guest and now I get to see them on screen there and they get to see me. Uh, but it's, it's pretty much the same thing as the radio show, but it was my wife's idea. Even the podcast was my wife's idea and uh, the rest is history. But I'll, I'll tell you, I really don't know what I'm doing. I just make sure I'm where I have to be, when I have to be there. And when the show starts, I, I just do my thing. Um, is the, uh, is the radio show and the podcast a, a similar format? And do you, is it a monologue style? I, I haven't heard the, the program, either one of them. Um, I start I, the show. The only thing that there's the same in the sense that, uh, each show has opening music and whoever, you know, like the radio show has a more professional sounding guy that they hired to, you know, you're, you're listening to that guy. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the podcast doesn't, there's just a banner and my opening music. And then when that fades and you see my face, I start talking and I do have an opening monologue. I usually start both shows with a prayer. And then um, after the prayer, uh, if I have a few announcements to make, I have a prayer to offer up for someone who's requested a prayer to be live for them uh, or light a candle live for them uh, with uh, offer up an intention for something. Uh, I do that. And then I talk a little bit about my guest and then I bring them on and then we just talk as though we're just kicking it here in their home or my home, uh, talking about whatever they want to talk about, but it usually always paranormally related. And then when the time is up, I thank them and say goodbye to them and thank my audience because without them, I don't have a show. And, and I tell them who the next week's guest is and, and then I'm done. How do you book your guests? And this is more a, of a question for me because I'm still in the process of learning what I'm doing. I still don't know what I'm doing either. Well, I'm going to give you a trade secret. <laughs> Hit me. Every once in a while I'll go, okay, what's it going to be like? If I, I know he's dead, may he rest in peace, but I wonder what it's going to, I wonder what Ed Warren will say if I send him a message asking him to be on the show. 
And I reach out to guys like that from time to time just to get a laugh because they never get back to me. And, um, and I think even if they did and they got on like guys that have been, you know, uh, uh, you know, ghost adventures guys or the ghost hunters guys or whatever, I don't think they would be, if they said yes and came on, I don't think it would have that same personal touch. They, I, I don't think their, their heart wouldn't be into it really. So what I do is I just make friends. If I find somebody interesting that I admire uh, the work that they're doing in the field, I send them a friend request on Facebook. If they don't accept, that's great. If they do accept, I make sure we're at least acquaintances for a while. Maybe we've sent some messages back and forth a little bit, got to know one another a little bit. And then when I think the time is right, I send them a message and ask them if they would be um would they like to come on oh, either one of my shows, my Sunday show? I'm sorry, not Sunday anymore, but my my uh, paranormal ministry show, live stream, video cast, or my uh, Monday night radio show. I'd love to have them on as a guest. And by that time, they're comfortable with me, and we've developed a little bit of a relationship. I, I can't really remember anybody ever just saying no. Sometimes it doesn't work out like a lot of my UK people. I've got to pre-record because when it's like, for instance, five o'clock on a Monday here, it's 2 a.m. Tuesday morning in the UK. So I have to pre-record those guys. And I haven't in a long time because it's been real difficult. And that was the same way as it's been with my fr my Sunday show. But now that my Sunday show is moving to Fridays at 2, it's 10 p.m. on a Friday night in the UK. Most of those guys don't have to go to work the next day. I'm going to start reaching back out to a lot of my UK friends again in the paranormal field to be on my show. But I just send them a message and they say yes. And we figure out what a good date is. I try to stay a couple of months booked out. So I'm not struggling to fill spots at the last second because um, <laughs> station managers hate that. And uh, like I said, I'm having a good time. And uh, I I can't. I work hard at my shows, you know, I've only got two of them, but with everything else I got on my plate, which is a three days a week, I work my job at the veterinary hospital, but then I'm teaching an online course in spiritual warfare. I still work a ton of paranormal cases. Um, it's just, uh, to me, I'm, you know, hanging on by my fingernails emotionally just to get, what I think are two good shows in a week, how these guys do do two, three, four hour shows every single night. I don't, I find that amazing. I don't know how they can do that. Um, I, I am equally amazed yeah. uh, to, to hear guys do that. I, I do know um, there's a, a talk show host who I had on um, or who I interviewed recently. That's going to be on an upcoming episode. And he has a booking. He has somebody do his booking for him. So that would be extremely helpful if you had somebody that was doing guest scheduling and, and doing I that, do that too. That you know what, what kills me with that is I don't know these people then. Not that they haven't been great guests. I have some people who are uh, pu uh, publicists, I guess that's what they call them or booking agents or what have you that reach out to me all the time. Would you, would you put this guy on your show? I think he'd be great. And I look at him. Oh yeah, he would be great, but there's something, and I'm not friends with them. Don't really know them. They send me a pic in a bio and that's cool. Uh, 
but there's just to me that there's something different about that interview i don't maybe it's uh psychological so subconsciously i don't feel like i have that connection with them that i did with somebody that i've already known for a little bit and been friends with yeah i have to get over that because i probably would get a lot more guests referred to me that way um but it's not the same it doesn't feel the same well uh he he actually i don't know if he pays the person or he has an individual who's dedicated to doing his bookings for him um and if you if you did have somebody like that you would have to trust them implicitly and they would have to be able to vet and screen those potential guests just as well as you would. Uh, I, I, I couldn't see just letting anybody handle that kind of a responsibility. Uh, and, and, like, and this person would have to realize that, you know, sometimes they can get people on that what they want to talk about is so far over my head. They're just extremely intelligent individuals about a topic that I'm just just not really well versed on and they can be taught and and i hate that i don't want to insult them by not being able to you know be on you know don't even have to be on equal level with them but be able to you know uh, talk with them uh, about what it is they're trying to talk to me about without feeling lost and like they're totally over my head and not knowing the right questions to ask that sometimes happens too when I have somebody else. Um, well, this person is strong. Don't worry about it. This person is just a talker. You just throw something at him and let him talk and just sit back. And, you know. but, but but then it's not your show anymore. Yeah. It's, it's their uh, show, and you're just kind which of which I don't I don't mind that either. Honest to gosh, if you if you hear any of my shows, um, you'll you'll realize right away I am not that kind of guy. I will like it makes my job easier if I get people on that love to talk and I will, if I always, here's another trade secret. I come always over-prepared with like 20 questions. Mm. I go into the person's personal life. I stalk them a little bit for a week or two before the show. And that's, I'm also able to do that if I'm Facebook friends with them. And then once I get, I, I get my questions that way, not just a standard format. So, um, uh, it's just uh, it's just so different for me to do it that way uh, than the other way. And, and uh, I, if I usually get through five, six questions out of the 20, 25 that I've prepared, because if the person loves to talk, I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I enjoy listening to them tell the story and tell about their experiences and their insights and feelings on certain topics. And I'm so okay with that. I'm not the, one of the hosts that... Uh, I really don't like to hear myself talk. So I don't, I, I, it makes my job easier if I get a talker that wants to tell a story for an hour or two and I can just kick back and take us to breaks, you know, interject some, you know, ideas here and there. Cause if we're talking about stuff that I love and I'm passionate about, sure. I'm just going to naturally jump in there. Like you and I are talking, you know, we have great, I just met you, but we have great chemistry. I feel at least. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I agree. 100%. I just, you know, I like that too. And I don't care. If somebody comes on and wants to talk the whole two hours. Oh gosh. Makes my life easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can relate to that. I do like to get through a certain number of questions cause I'm just a curious person and there's questions 
that have that I have for certain guests that are burning questions. And just in response to the two trade secrets that you offered up, both of those are exactly how I've built the the platform that I have today. Um, so if they're if they're working for you, uh, then I can pretty much um, rest assured that it's going to work for me. I just have to keep at it. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll go through your, you know, there's times where I sit down with my wife and go, you know what, honey, I know it's only two days a week, but I'll go through some burnout periods where I, I just, you know, I, I will, for whatever reason, I'll think about, you know, not doing the shows for a while. She gets mad. She goes, I love your shows. Uh, what am I going to do for the, from five to seven every Monday night, listen to your show religiously. What am I going to do? I love the podcast. You know, I love watching you on camera and everything. And it, they, I film right in my office here. So behind me is all these haunted objects and religious artifacts and interesting things behind me. And like I said, I live in a haunted house. So you may see a shadow figure or an object move while I'm on camera, you know, and, and that's happened quite a bit. She says, I love all that. So no, don't stop the shows. But like my five-year anniversary, when I started the show, I said I was only going to do five years. So as it creeped up to that time, I, I was really revisiting that feeling. But then I thought, you know, I don't know what I, like she said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I like the podcast. I like the radio show. I don't know what I would do with those, that extra time on those two days if I don't do them any longer. And it would be defeating the purpose why I got into them in the first place. Why, why do I feel that way? I don't have a clue. I, am I lazy? Am I just, I know I am still passionate about it and I enjoy doing it. I don't know why occasionally I feel like uh, wanting to uh, uh, take a break or not do them any longer. I, I don't know where that comes from. We could analyze that on another episode, I think, because I, I, I do have some insight into stuff like that, but um, I think it's a good point to wind down and let you get on with your day. Cause you have some other things that you have to get to. Alrighty. Um, last question. I would like to ask you before you, you know, we close it out though. And it's about your guests. Do you have um, like a dream guest that you would absolutely love to have come on your, your show. <laughs> and, and Living or dead. Oh, absolutely living. Uh, Somebody that you can living, okay. yeah, legitimately talk to right now. Uh, hmm. Oh my gosh. I, I, I don't know. Um, like I said, in the very beginning, you always like, oh, I got to get this guy. I got to get John Zaffis on. I got to get Zach Baggins on. Um, but uh, after you get through that uh, initial thing, and I think it's probably the way that I do my show, I don't, I don't really have a name to give you. I, I love everybody that I bring on. Well, maybe it's somebody from outside of, <clears throat> the community, the paranormal community, but hmm. somebody that you have a high level of respect for, whether it's in your local leadership, like, I don't, you know, mayor of Las Vegas or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, governor, governor of Nevada, 
I will. I will have to. Uh, I will have to. Honest to gosh, I will have to think about it. I'm a little. To be honest with you, political figures. I'm a little well, burnt out on those right I, I, now. Yeah, I mean, maybe a sports figure. I don't know if you're into sports or not. I, I am. Um, I'm. I'm mad that my team that I've been a fan of since I was four years old doesn't even have a name any longer. I'm a big Redskin fan. Mm-hmm. And they're not the Redskins any longer. It's been such a depressing, and I haven't been able to go to the Redskin bar every weekend like my wife and I used to do yeah. to watch the games. And even if we win, it's not the Redskins any longer. Uh, that's been very depressing. A uh, big, uh, big Redskin fan. So it could be any old school Redskin player. And I've met many of them and had many jerseys and helmets signed at sporting goods stores where they've been to speak and show up. But I just can't. Uh, uh, far more guys that aren't here with us in the physical, I would love to uh, have on. And um, yeah, but you, you have to remember, man, there the the torch has been passed, <laughs> and there there is a new generation of people that are carrying on the work and doing things, and they're going to be the next Ed Warren or Hans Holzer or those you know those guys that have um, Ed Edward Casey, you know. Yeah, those guys are living right now, and the opportunity is there for for you to reach out and and and, and like I said earlier, some of those guys I have, and they just don't respond. Oh, yeah, and and, and it, I'll be honest with you, it, it hurts your feelings a little bit. I'll tell you, I, I you know what, I'll give you a trade secret. How about this? Because I've talked to some pretty high profile people recently, people that I didn't expect to even respond to my emails or my Facebook uh, inquiries. I've actually had interviews with them. They've told me every one of them. And um, what you have to do is be polite, but be persistent. So if you send them one email and you don't hear back from them, wait a couple of days, maybe a week or two, send them another email and just keep pushing those emails out there and trying to, because the more they see your name popping up in their, in their, inbox or in their Facebook messages, they're going to start to remember your name. And then eventually they're going to say, Hey, okay. I've, this guy has been pretty persistent. Let me take a look at what he's doing. If they like what you're doing, they're going to reply. And it, it, it worked. Don't get discouraged because they're not rejecting you. They just don't have time to respond to you. You understand? Absolutely. And I know that too. Yeah. And who knows in, and it would be a bummer if they said like this, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't want to bug anybody to death. So <laughs> if I am able to bring myself to send them every couple of weeks, another email, another private message, um, then it's a bummer to think about they, okay, this guy's name's popped up a lot. He's, you know, he's very persistent. God bless him. And they block he's, you, he's, right? Yeah, either that or, <laughs> you know, he's tenacious. Let me check him out. Yeah. And then they, they they don't like what you're doing. Oh, his show's terrible. I'm, I can't go on that. Yeah. Um, but you would never know. But I still do. There's occasionally, I do have some messages that I've reached out, uh, I've sent out recently to guys that, uh, uh, pretty big guys, pretty big names. And, you know, they either will or they won't, but I'm going to try that. You know, if I don't hear, if I don't, some of them have respond. very few have, and some of them have been honest and said, um, that I'll tell you, this, this really hurts your feelings when they tell you I don't do radio or podcasts any longer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then a week or two goes by, you see him on somebody else's radio show or a podcast. You kind of go, oh, wow. That's... And you know you didn't do anything to piss the guy off or hurt his feelings or you weren't too obnoxious by reaching out to him all the time. And then I've had, and this was early on, and then since then, since the show's gotten more popular and my audience is bigger and my reach out to guests are is broader, I've had some of them dudes that have done that come back and send me messages. Um, uh, love to come on your show. I think you, and I've been guilty and God forgive me for saying this and feeling this way. And I pray all the time to get over these types of hu- uh, human feelings that hold us back. But sometimes I, then I don't reach out back to them because I'm a little, I'm a little upset. Mm. Um, and so I got to get over that. I got to grow up and get over that. That is right there. Uh, you know, and I'm sure your, your psychologist or your psychiatrist friend would, would say the same thing, but that is, um, textbook, uh, self-sabotage right there. Yeah, absolutely. I am, I am a self-sabotage. <laughs> so, Hey man, yeah. let's, uh, let, let's close this out. Cause I know we've gone a little bit over time and, um, I, I would sit here and talk to you for another hour. I think I think you're right. We do have a chemistry. We certainly have hit it off for the first time ever talking to each other and only maybe exchanging two or three text messages on Facebook. Uh, but uh, let's let's schedule something in the very near future for me to come on your radio show. I'd love to do that. And then we'll do a, another follow-up on my you podcast had, a little bit. You had mentioned that you like the camera. If you want to come on uh, the the live stream uh, video cast that starts up um, New Year's Day, we can do that. It'd be a Friday afternoon from 2 to 3, maybe a little bit longer. My producer already said if you have somebody on that you guys are having a great time and stretch it out beyond an hour, that's cool. And we can do that. I can get you on on the on camera one, or we can do the Monday night um, radio one. That's just audio. Okay. Well, either one, man. Whichever one you have an opening for, and you want to talk to a guy who knows about. Uh... Tell why don't you before we go real quick recommend a couple of things that I can read about the Cold War that when you and I talk when I have you on as a guest and we talk about that. I'm a little more versed on, on uh, the path you're taking me on. Okay. Well, so I am not an expert in the cold war by any stretch of the word. What my interest is, is a personal journey of how the cold war affected myself, our world and everybody living in the world for the generations that the cold war persisted so that's why i'm interested in the cold war because it's impacted our lives for so long um you know there there are some highlights that we could touch on um such as the the beginning of the cold war uh and i can't give you any places to go to to research it okay atomicarchive.com that's a good place for you to get some some good resources some good resource information and that will take you down a couple different rabbit holes. And, um, and we live, you and I both live in, in, in uh, a, a 
adaptation area of the country that Listen. has been a big part of that whole that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, we could certainly talk about that, too, because I've interviewed um, the director of education from the Atomic Testing Museum right here in town. Very cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, all I can share with you is my personal experiences. Like I said, I'm no expert when it comes to dates and times. I am not really that good. I was only doing calculations in my head as you and I were talking um, because I wanted to kind of focus on what was happening around that time that you were having these experiences, you know, in the broader world. Uh, so that, that's kind of how I was able to do that when you and I were talking earlier and you said, I'm pretty good at doing that kind of stuff. I'm really not, man. I'm really not. Uh, but yeah, I would love to do more collaborations with you going forward and whether it's, you know, one and done, or we do a couple more, um, episodes on my podcast and do one or two shows on your well that's another thing that you'll have to get used to sometimes you get a a person on um you know once or twice and then for some reason for some reason you don't you don't do it purposely three years goes by and you don't reach back out to them to come on and then when you finally do they're mad (laughs) oh oh man and you don't even realize you just because you've had so many other people on and you've gone down this path or that path or, you know, it, you know, stuff happens in life and you don't purposely mean to just not lose contact with that person for a while. And, and maybe you didn't even lose contact with them. There's been some messaging back and forth. I've liked their photo. They've liked mine. They've commented on this post. I've commented on their post, you know, but you just actually didn't step up to the plate and say, Listen, I, I you know want to have you back on the show. <laughs> you know, how do you feel about that? I've been booking for for March 2021. What do you think? You just for whatever reason don't, and they are all the, they're waiting because you've had a couple of good interviews with them. So there's nothing wrong. But for whatever reason, a year, two, three years has gone by. You haven't reached out to them. You haven't asked them, and then you finally do one, or or they might even in a conversation come right out and ask you i have a i have an issue to a bone to pick with you yeah what's that how you and i've had a couple of great interviews on your show and it's been what three years now and you haven't asked me back yet i mean is there a problem and i didn't like your stories dude (laughs) yeah you know you just feel so bad you're like oh my gosh this has been that long um I was so. just getting ready to call you, man. You know, you, it's a good thing that you feel that way because I want you on my show in, uh, you know, in two weeks. Or I, I just happen to have a cancellation. I need somebody to fill it. You're and in. They, and, that, <laughs> and I do have one of those lists. I have a list, you know, because you get people that will call sometimes the night of, Oof. you know, five minutes. Those before. are the people you don't invite back on, right? Well, I have to play it best of. My, my station manager gets mad at me. She says, can't you think of something to talk about for for an hour or two mm-hmm. i'm like i guess i could but i you know i respect my audience more than that i don't want to act like an idiot like I, like i said i don't even like hearing myself talk i don't want to put them through that for two hours so she has a dozen or so best ofs already cut up and ready to pop in there at the last second but i get those and i do have a list of people that have always said put me on the list of people you call at the last second when you get a cancellation. And then you call these people up and they're like, oh, 
So you're only calling me because this guy canceled, huh? Of course you know, I am, can't. man. Yeah. That's what you we, said. You're on yeah. the last call list. <laughs> so, it does, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, you, you seem like a good guy, Sean, and I'm glad that I got to know you. Uh, and, you know, in respect for your time, I'm going to say we're going to have to uh, bring this to a close. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's connect on Facebook again, you know, and figure out some dates going forward. Absolutely. Uh, and I'd love to pick your brain more about, you know, uh, so, so many other questions I have that we didn't even get to. So there's definitely room you for You go more. ahead and throw me another date. And it doesn't have to be next week or even a month from now, but you throw me another date. We'll do a part two and finish with the questions that you didn't get to tonight. I will have you on the new show because I really want to push uh, the new show coming up, um, uh, the podcast. And then that way you can, um, you know, you can uh, shave and shower and get your best hat on and look good for the camera. And we can do a, a good. I always look good, brother. There you go. We can do at least a good hour, <laughs> hour and a half on my new show, which I'm really excited about. I think the the new network is a, a really good network. And, I, and my producer seems to be really, really nice, talented uh, young lady that I, I think is going to do a bang up job running my show. So. Um, I want to push that and get some good people on there and, and uh, it'll just be, I know the conversation will be much like we had today, but it'll just be flipped with me asking you the questions. Very cool. Well, I might, I might reflip it on you and start asking you more questions because I'm, we can do that too. I'm way more know? comfortable asking questions than I am answering them. We can do sure. that too. doesn't matter. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll let it flow. All right, I'm, Andrew. I'm excited about that, man. So cool. Thank you for the opportunity, brother. I had a good time. Have a wonderful remainder of your weekend. I'm going to try to do the same. I'm going to get a little rest here before my lecture. And then um, throw me some dates. We'll do a part two. And then plan on me throwing you some dates here soon. I think I booked January already. I think I'm one or two Fridays already booked into February. I'll throw you a date in February for the new show. And it's right here. You just log on uh my girl will either send you a, it's on StreamYard, so she'll either send you a link to your email or right here on Facebook, or she'll send it to me and then I'll forward it to you. And then you just click on that the day, about 15 minutes before we go live on that day. And um, she'll, you sign in and then you click on enter studio and she'll pull you right in. And um, uh, all you need is your webcam on and uh, a good mic and the rest is history. All right, Sean, well, I'm looking forward to it, man. Seriously. All right, Andrew. God bless you, brother. Thanks for everything. I'll be talking to you. Thank you, my man. And right. have a good one. Take care. You too. Bye.